welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops Te Sequetum territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequetum Ulu, although I am joining today from Algonquin Anishinaabeg territory. Today's text, Red, White, and Royal Blue, takes place half in London and half mm-hmm. in Washington, D.C., which is the traditional home of the Piscataway and Anacostan peoples. Joe. Mm-hmm. I feel like we are so late to the Red, White, and Royal Blue party, even though the movie adaptation, like, just came out and we right. watched screeners of it. I think that, like, the book has been such a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And I have to confess, normally when a book is, like, this much of a big deal, I pick it up at some point. And for some reason, I just miss this one. I think because I'm not really a romance reader, but I am a big new adult reader. So I'm not really Mm. sure why I didn't grab this one earlier, but um, (laughs) I enjoyed it. Did you like it? I did, yeah. This was the second time that I've read the book. This got on my radar because of former guest Brennan Klein, as well as mm-hmm. frequent listener and writer in Miriam. Mm-hmm. So I knew that they were both big fans of it, and I picked it up. I ended up really devouring it. I didn't think at all about it critically or why I was enjoying it. It was just kind of fluffy and sexy and fun. And then when I found out that the movie was coming out, I obviously programmed it for us, but... Um, let's just say that I still enjoy the book and the movie did very little for me. It's interesting. And we'll get into this, obviously, as we as we dig in. But I think for me, what the book is so good at is like capturing that feeling of like, you know, late all night texting with someone you really Mm -hmm. want to hear back from and like all the anticipatory stuff. It's so good at that. And the film it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a whirlwind romance. And for some reason, there's just very little energy in the film. Yeah. Like, I think people are doing their best, minus Uma Thurman and whatever that accent is. Yeah, she's not doing her best. She is phoning it in. <laughs> it's, yeah, you know, like, she's kind of the celebrity get for this, because obviously the two guys are kind of up and comers. But It's just so shocking to me how faithful in many ways the film is. And obviously, we'll touch on the places it's not. But we're recreating direct scenes from the book. And they just don't have any of the emotional components that made them so captivating in text form. Yeah, so let's talk about the plot. And and then we can dig more into like what's super not working in the movie. Because... I'm just very interested to hear what people think, because if you read this book because you really enjoyed, like, the sexy froth of it all, Mm -hmm. the movie doesn't deliver, and that's a big bummer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So, um, Red, White, and Royal Blue, it came out in 2019, and it's sort of an alternate history of the 2016 American presidential (laughs) election. This is tough, Brenna. Like, this book is so hopeful when it comes to U.S. politics, and then you've got to go back to the real world, and it ain't like this at all. It's true. So we are living in the world of Ellen Claremont, the first female president of the United States. Uh, She has two kids. 
Alex Claremont Diaz and June Claremont Diaz. And Alex and June are half Latino. Their dad is a Mexican, child of Mexican immigrants. And so, you know, they've come mm-hmm. from a really, like, diverse, working class, aware, woke background. And, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, imagine if the Democratic Party, like, <laughs> as that way right? at all. And of course, they're also from Texas, like they're from Austin, Texas. So it is a very blue dot and a red sea. But at the same time, like so much of this book is about, ooh, what if we could just flip Texas? Yeah, the whole book basically pivots. Well, the political side of the book basically pivots on Alex's plan to flip Texas. And yeah, it's so hopeful. And also Mm -hmm. like, oh, babies. Anyway, um, so we have like, Alex and June, and then their friend Nora, who's the granddaughter of the vice president, the three of them make up what's called the White House Trio. And they're interesting because they're all either university aged or graduated. They work on the campaign and they are Mm -hmm. sort of as famous as their mom as president, like not just in the sort of previous first children kind of ways, but like they're considered movers and shakers in D.C., Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they are the big to do. People are, are constantly watching them. They are super popular in the media, which of course adds complications as the narrative gets mm-hmm. underway. And a big part of Alex's personality, weirdly, is that he's always hated Prince Henry, <laughs> the mm-hmm. younger brother of the heir to the throne of England. And so when he ends up having to go to like a state event, at the palace, it's the wedding of the actual heir to the throne. Mm-hmm. Prince Philip. Yes, that's right. And he runs into Prince Henry and they have a big meat cute cake falling over <laughs> international it's a cake disaster. Incident disaster. And yeah, they have to pretend to be friends in mm-hmm. order to fool people into thinking that there's nothing wrong in relations between the crown and the U.S. because there's a big trade deal in the offing. It's a very paper-thin plot, and it's amazing. <laughs> I love this so much. It's such a cute... Like, it's it's literally a meet-cute, even though they've obviously met each other before. But the inciting incident and then the fact that they have to put on a romance that turns into an mm. actual romance is delicious. It's so good. It's so... Joe and I were talking offline about how, like... As long as you don't expect the story to have anything to do with, like, the actual way the world functions, it's amazing. And I really do think, like, Casey McQuiston, who wrote this, I don't think we even said that yet. (laughs) Casey McQuiston (laughs) is, like, not a political researcher. (laughs) She doesn't always (laughs) seem to demonstrate that she knows, like, how government works. And it doesn't matter because the book is fun. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, the romance turns into a romance but they are deeply stymied by the fact that prince henry cannot come out as gay Mm -mm. so prince henry is gay alex sort of realizes that he's bi over the course of the narrative and prince henry has already kind of floated this like with the royal family and they're basically like absolutely not like you live in the closet forever there is no other option that is it Mm -hmm. and so it starts out Henry's trying to keep things on like a friends with benefits level because he knows that he can never be like in a serious relationship with Alex. But of course, he can't because they fall in love. (laughs) And the narrative is really about them being outed by the media, teasing apart the response and then having a very triumphant public 
presentation to the world um and everything works out well texas does get flipped ellen mm-hmm. claremont is reelected. the crown does find a way to welcome henry into the fold everything is happy the end exactly yeah <laughs> and we should acknowledge you know we've called this movie romantic and fluffy and i've even seen some people say it's almost campy how silly some of it is like mm. they're their meet cute, their near discoveries, the way that they end up having to implicate staffers as well as secret service and stuff into the fold to provide them cover so that they can meet in clandestine places and hook up in like sheds at uh, polo matches and so on. <laughs> it's all very silly and fun, but we should acknowledge there's also a relatively serious undercurrent about Prince Henry's grief about the death of his father who died from cancer. I mean, I love the detail that he was an actor who was a former Bond. Yes. (laughs) Like, he was James Bond in this alternative history. But yeah, I mean, there's Prince Henry's younger sister, Princess B, who had to go to recovery for cocaine addiction, and she ends up getting implicated in the leak, and she has to deal with like her recovery very publicly. So there are some relatively serious issues mm-hmm. being unpacked in the book. It's just that it's also very fun and frothy. Yes. And I think on Alex's side, we have the whole plot line with Rafael Luna, who's a Latino and openly gay senator from Colorado, who Alex really looks up to and ends up feeling mm-hmm. deeply betrayed by because Luna gets sort of swept up in some DC business and thinks that he can he like- jumps parties, Brenna. Well, he does it because he thinks he can upend their campaign, which is like so mm-hmm. naive and foolish, but then he actually sort of does. Because everything works out in this book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely one of those elements where I could see people saying, oh, this is just absolutely ridiculous. Like, that would never, ever happen. Flipping Texas, sure. Blackmailing the crown into accepting Alex as a royal suitor, sure. Rediscovering the decency of the Republican Party, never. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why the book ends up becoming so joyful to read is because even when characters are going through hardships, they end up persevering through their metal, like their good character is what ends up winning the day in this book. And you can read Casey McQuinton's afterward or, or her thanks to people. And she talks about how she needed something hopeful in the wake mm-hmm. of Donald Trump's election in 2016. And you can feel that through the whole book. Like if you want to feel reassured about the state of world politics, this isn't a bad pick. This is also a really big book for all kinds of different queer representations. So mm-hmm. we have a trans character on the Secret Service. We have queer characters of sort of all experiences yep. and levels of like publicness or outness. There's a whole mm-hmm. bunch of different stories waiting in the wings here that I think is really powerful. And I actually learned, Joe, that all the editions that have come out since I think 2012, because this book has had a lot of printings, um, but there was a... There was some rewrites in the collector's edition and all the subsequent ones. One of those was just Mm -hmm. in order to like sell more copies. There's a chapter from Henry's perspective in the collector's edition. (laughs) Okay. Another thing that McQuiston does in the later editions is she removes almost all the references to Harry Potter. Um, Oh. We find out that both Alex and Henry are like big Potterheads and they kind of bond Mm -hmm. over that. 
McQuiston writes a lot of that out of later editions of the book because of J.K. Rowling's transphobia. She didn't feel like it was a safe wow. thing to really be including in the story. So I think lots That's of That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that I enjoyed the most about this from a queer perspective is, as you said, there's a diversity of different queer characters. And, you know, they're not all coming out. They're not all negotiating hardship. So there is a lot of joy to be found in here. But then similar to the conversation that we literally just had last week about Imogen, obviously, I really enjoyed the discussions about negotiating coming out and who gets to decide how much we know about people's private lives in a public sphere. And even the the conversation, like the speech that Alex delivers as mm. his kind of Rose Garden public address in more or less coming out to the world with Henry on his own terms. I think it's a really beautiful speech. And it it's is. something that I think queer people can take a bit of solace in. Yeah, I thought it was also really beautiful. I thought it was sort of complicated and nuanced and like recognizing that he was being forced out, but also that by giving the speech, he can take some control over the narrative. Mm-hmm. I also just really like the relationship between Henry and Alex. Like, yeah. it's complicated by so many different circumstances. But the first thing that Alex wants to do when all of this comes out is that he wants to get to Henry and make sure that he's okay. Mm -hmm. Because he knows the cost that this is going to be is very different for Henry. And I think right. that those moments of like real genuine love between the two, it's sort of the best part of the book. I mean, I know it's been mm -hmm. lauded because the sex scenes are super sexy and the tension is super great and it's fun. But mm -hmm. honestly, the just tenderness between our two protagonists is my favorite right. part. Yeah. And, you know, of course, like a traditional rom-com, there's something very enjoyable about watching enemies discover that secretly the reason they don't like each other is because they're in love with one another. Mm -hmm. So watching the evolution of the relationship go from I hate you to I'm fascinated and perplexed by you to I'm turned on by you, let's hook up as often as possible to, oh no, this is actually something with feelings and it's far more powerful than that. Like, is it very typical in terms of romantic narratives? Absolutely. But it's a formula that works and McQuinston seems to recognize exactly how powerful that can be. Yeah, I think it's really important to note that like this book is not trying to subvert any tropes. And there's something no. <laughs> very joyful about seeing the same tropes that have been used, you know, eternally in straight romance, um, repurposed for a mm -hmm. queer audience and be this successful. Like, I think that's actually a very cool thing. Um, you know, we talk mm -hmm. a lot about how we expect books by writers from equity seeking backgrounds to like be novel and they have to be the mm -hmm. best thing ever and they have to break all the molds. And I think <laughs> what McQuiston is doing instead is actually just a really savvy use of established tropes that straight readers have been seeing themselves in forever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Joe. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the book. And <laughs> I, I don't know if there's more that you want to talk about, like, specifically about the book. We certainly can. But I think what fascinates me about this week's episode is how much the movie did not work for me. Mm -hmm. So I kind of wonder if we could pivot and talk about, like, what works in the novel against what doesn't work in the film. Because I actually 
I was very surprised that I was so, so bored by this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Let's talk about the film. I sent you to the royal wedding the simple instructions. Don't cause an international incident. How's it going? You've done some pretty stupid things in your day, but this... Thanks for cake? Henry shoved me. An urge I currently share. What I need is some good old-fashioned damage control. The White House and the palace are going to release a joint statement. You've got to be joking. You can hate Prince Henry all you want. My NDA is bigger than yours. I want you to know that. You're wearing lifts. Know that too, sweetheart. You better act like the sun shines out of his ass and you have a vitamin D deficiency. I think Philip is what you might say to convince the world that we're actually friends. I love hanging out with this guy. We never have to see each other again. You're expected at my New Year's party. Did I do something wrong? Do you ever wonder who you'd be if you were an anonymous person in the world? I have no idea what you're talking about. You're as thick as it gets. Oh, your majesty. It's your royal highness. Dear Alex, I miss you. Good morning. We are in a hotel crawling with reporters. If anyone sees you leave this hotel, I will Brexit your head from your body. Your Royal Highness. You need to figure out if you feel forever about him. Do you love him? What difference would it make if I did? I want someone to love. Prince Henry belongs to Britain. I need. We can figure out a way to love each other on our own terms. It's like there's a rope attached to my chest and it keeps pulling me towards you. Okay. So Red, White, and Royal Blue gets adapted by director and writer Matthew Lopez. He co-wrote the script with Ted Mallower, and obviously this is based on Casey McQuiston's book. It stars some up-and-comer folks. So we've got Taylor Zachar Perez as Alex, Nicholas Galanzine as Prince Henry, Ellie Bamber as Princess B. I put her in there even though she is not a character. Mm-hmm. Our perennial fave, Rachel Hilson, appears as Nora. Welcome back, Rachel. Mm-hmm. Love her. She kind of gets some stuff to do, but mostly that's because Nora is also June in the film yeah. adaptation. So we completely write out Alex's sister, who has, you know, a couple of really important subplots in the book. I can understand why we get rid of her, because the film just doesn't have space for all these characters. But I will confess, I wouldn't have thought June would be the character to go. No, I was surprised I expected Nora to be the character to go. But instead, we have Nora taking on a larger, more June-ish role, which means Mm -hmm. we don't get any of the sort of very interesting exploration of sexuality that goes on with June behind the scenes. But that's all right. Mm -hmm. We had to lose something. Yeah, yeah. So also in the cast, we have uh, Sarah Shahi as Zara. That's Ellen Claremont's... She's the staffer who runs everything, and she's very tyrannical. She and Alex don't like each other, but it's a begrudging, ooh, I hate you because you always cause me problems, but secretly I love you. Mm-hmm, yeah. She's almost like big sisterly or maternal towards him. Mm-hmm. We have Anish Sheath as Amy. So she's a lesbian secret security guard who has a trans wife in the book, but I don't believe we see her wife, or if we do, maybe it's only in the background of the film. Amy's trans in the book. 
Oh, okay. Sorry, I got that wrong. I was trying to remember who the trans character was. Yeah, it's Amy. Okay. So I stand corrected. Um, We've got Juan Castano as Miguel Ramos. And this is a new character who replaces Rafael Luna. And Miguel is a sleazy reporter that hooked Mm -hmm. up with Alex on a campaign trail. And he's very forward. He clearly wants to reconnect physically with Alex. So Alex's bisexuality is almost more cemented in the film as a result but this character is much more duplicitous he's very much the obvious person who leaked all of the private emails to the media so that he could capitalize on it uh with like an editorial to you know augment his own reputation and career yeah the movie needed a villain and so we get him mm-hmm And he makes it so that we don't need Levi, who was the high school boy who um, Alex fooled around with but didn't think it meant anything, who he then has to kind of come to terms with uh, later Mm -hmm. once he realizes about himself. But he also replaces a storyline that June has in the book where she's been having a fling with a sleazy political reporter on and off. So (laughs) it's sort of like erases and ties up a bunch of people um but yeah it means that we don't have a Raphael luna and we don't have that whole betrayal backstory yeah in some ways this makes sense to me because it is more streamlined and as you said it gives us a very obvious easy villain i have some thoughts about how this is all resolved and it's part of for me the unsatisfying nature of the film I do find it interesting, Joe, that the film takes a fairly traditional trope here and makes a queer man the villain, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. a a brown queer man in this very diverse uh, story. We end up with a really traditional, almost like queer panic villain Mm -hmm. with like unresolved love story. Like, I just, it made me a bit uncomfortable, I have to say, compared to the complexity of how the outing happens in the book. I get it. It had to be streamlined, but I, did it, did it have mm-hmm. to be, did it have to be a queer man? Did it? You know? Yeah. Let's unpack that because really there's only other two people in the cast that I was going to mention. Clifton Collins Jr. as Alex's father, Oscar, and then the aforementioned Uma Thurman as president, Ellen Claremont. We'll come back to wow, that. Wow. Stephen Fry erasure, but Okay. Oh, please. <laughs> barely in it. In it more than Heartstopper season two, but barely in but it. Barely, I know. He's taking all these phoned in roles. Anyway, go ahead. Oh, gosh. Okay, so let's let's talk about this kind of Machiavellian scheme, because as we mentioned in the book, he is positioned as a queer villain for part of the narrative because he jumps ship so that he can work with Ellen's competitor for the presidency. And there's all these complicated feelings of betrayal because Alex looked up to him so much. And then as you said, yeah, it's revealed, oh, this was kind of a triple cross where he was trying to get in with this guy so that he could expose them there's a really uncomfortable kind of pedophilia angle mm-hmm. where diego was actually sexually assaulted or or propositioned by this uh republican man and it ends up becoming a, a big political blackmail kind of scheme and that gets really watered down so that it's very simple and very easy to understand in the film okay so just a minor correction it's rafael luna who the character that we're talking about is <laughs> Yes. So we have all of this kind of like, you're right, there's this sexual assault or attempted sexual assault backstory. There's blackmail around that. There's the sense that this guy 
will predate further we find out he's starting like a young congressman's club or something Mm -hmm. where he's gonna have like young people he's gonna have a lot of access to a lot of young people all of that obviously i think would be really complex (laughs) for a Mm -hmm. film that's trying to capture some of the froth and lightness of the book right but yeah so the choice instead is to have basically like a scorned gay lover who Mm -hmm. the reason he's outing Alex is because he is jealous, right? Like, ultimately, that's his only motivation. It's super boring. It's so boring comparatively, right? And, you know, ultimately, the film isn't really interested in politics at all. Mm -hmm. Everything political is in the background. We don't even really understand that Texas is flipped because of Alex's Texas strategy in the film. It's... Uh... I I disagree with that because we actually see him. There's a montage where he goes to Texas and he like works oh, his he butt off. Montage. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's pretty obvious. But he gets removed from the campaign like way before mm-hmm. there's actually any oh, sure. success with it. And I just yes. think in general, I don't know. It's somehow less of Alex's life. Like we never see Alex mm-hmm. at university. We don't see him studying for this role. We don't see. I don't know. There's just, no. you're, you're right. We do see that the Texas strategy is his, but it's not like identity defining in the same way. No, no. And there's something missing with not having Raphael here, right? Because he's positioned mm-hmm. as not just a mentor, but someone ultimately that Alex can say, this is who I should be modeling my career after because we're yes. both we're both men of color, we're both queer, you know, he's already broken ground on this. And this is who I can follow in the footsteps of. And over the course of the book, it becomes more evident to Alex that his predetermined path isn't the one he has to stay on, because he never expected to meet someone like Henry, and didn't expect to have a future that would take him off of this predetermined path. So I love the kind of intersection of politics and relationships and how you can change and still achieve what you want you know i think one of the end of book lines is i'm paraphrasing but it's kind of like you'll get there it's just it's going to take you a lot longer but you know it's like it's a different path but the destination is still the same well and it's this whole idea of sort of like mentorship within community right and the ways in which Raphael is sort of expected to be unimpeachable in order to serve mm-hmm. as a mentor which isn't fair to him like he's right. a human being right and and i think that there's all kinds of complicated exploration of that notion too of like what it means to look up to somebody what they owe you once you put them in that role like mm-hmm. it's actually kind of fascinating how interested the book is in relationships other than the central romance like the Mm -hmm. book is 421 pages like for a reason it is long (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot going on and there were some relationships that i wanted more of like i wanted to understand ellen and alex's relationship more Mm -hmm. there are moments when she opens up and i wanted like more of that but in the places where mcquiston has explored it and i think Raphael is probably the strongest example it adds a ton to the narrative and Mm -hmm. i know a movie can't do everything But this particular choice is a choice. (laughs) Well, that and I think, so the the big piece that doesn't work for me, as you said, we expect that it's going to be less complicated because the film can't do everything. This is the problem with adaptations. We've covered this a million times. So one of the things that I don't like about the film is 
the resolution with Miguel. So, you know, he is interviewed, I think, by Rachel Maddow. Sure, whatever. (laughs) And she basically says, you know, well, you published your report mere hours after the news was leaked. And yet, how would you have had time to read through, you know, 75 emails and blah, 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 and then still publish this? So she basically says, you know, hey, everybody knows that it's you. And that's where it stops. Mm -hmm. We don't touch base with this character again. We don't get any kind of resolution. We don't really hear about what the ramifications of his actions are. Like, the book is very satisfying because we learn that not only does Ellen's political rival lose the election, but that he is being actively investigated for trying to corrupt and change the outcome of an election, right? Like, this is a big deal. And the film is kind of like, you get that he's the bad guy, right? We don't actually care, though, so we're just moving on. <laughs> and it's wildly unsatisfying. It's very, very unsatisfying. I do want to interject here, though, that can we talk about how hard Rachel Maddow is working in this movie? Like, <laughs> She is Rachel sweating. Maddow is working <laughs> so much harder than Stephen Fry and Uma Thurman combined to create mm-hmm. any sense of sort of like realism. <laughs> like, right. One of the things that is a problem in this movie, and I'm totally pivoting now, Joe, so we can go back if you want to. Do it. No, I'm ready. Let's move on. It's cheap as hell. So... I don't know if there was ever a question of this going to theaters, but I have to assume not because you are absolutely right. This is bare bones and we're seeing it on a technical level. It's not just a mm, slightly dodgy storytelling. This is really badly lit. The Mm -hmm. background effects are awful. It looks like we are constantly standing in front of green screens. And I get it. This is a romantic comedy. It's not a Marvel film, but at the same time, I shouldn't be able to look at it and be like, I'm distracted by how badly this is made. Like, to the point, folks, if you haven't seen the film yet, to the point that they don't even build like a press conference set, even though Mm -mm. it's a president movie, so there's going to be a million press conferences. They are Mm -hmm. in front of a green screen for all of the press conferences. And like, the edging on the people, like, sometimes it looks like a TikTok video, Joe. Like, it's bad. Yeah, I've seen more convincing YouTube videos, which is to say nothing bad about YouTube, but I would have expected that a feature film and an adaptation of a very well-known N.A. novel, you could have thrown a few pennies at this. I'm just sort of baffled by it. Like, things that I I feel like they could have just bought a better set than whatever they put together. Like, the Mm -hmm. Air Force One set is terrible. The palace sets all look really chintzy. Like, I don't know, man. I would have preferred them to try to shoot in fewer places and Mm -hmm. just do it better. I It was a real disappointment to me because part of the fun of Red, White, and Royal Blue, the book, is -hmm. that you you are totally submerged in the opulence of this world right like part of it is i mean alex is a little bit of a fish out of water he feels like he's still a working class kid but he lives in the white house and he goes to the palace and like that's a huge part is just the sort of sense Mm -hmm. of weirdness as he begins to get used to this world yeah so you're always aware in the book of like the amazing linens on the royal beds and like Mm -hmm. the decor and alex is always telling us about the world that he's looking at and then you get to the movie and it's like somebody drew generic like stick figures on cardboard (laughs) it's just a real bummer (laughs) i i really felt it in the white house scenes i'll confess i wasn't as bothered 
in the royal palace stuff like it it had a, a fair amount of opulence it just also felt like we were maybe confined to about two or three rooms mm. so i i feel that like the scope of the film's world feels very small and limited when in the book we are we are traveling the world right jet set where it benefits all over the world we're in all mm-hmm. these incredible locales and i'm I'm just surprised there wasn't more money to put at this film, Joe. And and you're usually mm-hmm. the one who can give me this kind of like context. And I guess I'm sure on some level it's just like you don't have to because people mm-hmm. will watch this because the book is so popular. But like Amazon had to outbid like a bunch of different companies to get this, to get mm-hmm. the rights. Like it wasn't cheap for them. And right. The book itself has, you know, sold, just trying to see if I can find the numbers, and I can't, but it's a New York Times bestseller. It, like, surprised everyone, the number of books sold. I just, I guess Mm -hmm. I just don't get why you would make this film on the cheap. Does it ultimately just come down to the fact that, like, they think a romance audience is going to be fine with whatever, or... I think it's that, and I think for the purposes of our podcast, it's also a, "Mm, well, this is basically being made for young adults and new adults, and we don't need to impress them. Because, yeah, the audience will be there from the readership, but also, well, it's just a new adult film, so we don't need to spend a ton of money on it. Like, that's the feeling I'm getting. I don't know for sure, but this feels very, "Mm, you know what, we got Uma Thurman, and that's enough of a sell. I genuinely wish they hadn't bothered to spend the money on Uma Thurman. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing. I don't think she's actually bad. I just think the accent is so terribly distracting that I can't even acknowledge other parts of her performance. I don't even have to say that she's bad. I just don't think she's adding anything. And I'm sure she cost a lot compared to what else the movie had to spend. So I'm just kind of like, why? (laughs) Why? All right, well, we've been dodging around the actual romance and the central characters of this film. So I'm curious, how do you feel about Nicholas Galanzine as well as Taylor Zachar Perez in these roles? They are both adorable. Mm-hmm. There are moments that I really believe the romance. Okay. I think the love scenes are, for the most part, good. But where the, well, maybe not good, but okay, (laughs) where the chemistry really fails for me is, and I think it's because I liked it in the book so much to be fair and give context, but like the anticipatory stuff, the distance stuff, I didn't find it very like sexually tense at all. Mm -hmm. It didn't even always feel like flirting. I only knew it was flirting because I know the beats of the story, you know? And I thought that that was a big disappointment because, like, they're both so adorable. And I really wanted to feel as electrified by this relationship as I feel by, like, you know, something we see in Love, Simon, for example, Mm -hmm. where we have, you know, characters who are really, really magnetic. Right. I just, I feel bad that I I didn't really (laughs) feel anything for them, you know? There's, like, a couple of very sweet moments. There's a moment where they are facing the king and... They reach out for each other's hands. That's very tender and very mm-hmm. sweet. But right. in terms of like electricity, mm-hmm. I didn't find no. there to be much. No, it's tricky. So I don't want to wildly speculate, but 
neither of these two actors have publicly identified their sexual orientation. So we can only hypothesize about whether or not they identify along the lines of their characters or whether this was, you know, okay, I'm an actor, I'm going to inhabit this character, going to deliver a performance. I read a GQ article that talked about the friendship that the two actors developed on set and how they bonded thick as thieves. They were always playing practical jokes on one another. And I really got the feeling that they're friends in real life. And I think that the bromance aspects are evident on screen in the film, but I don't get, yeah, I think you said like that sexual chemistry, that electricity between them. This to me always felt like not frat boy behavior, but it was, it was jokey, like, okay, let's kiss. Okay. Let's hang out. Okay. Let's get into misadventures. And I think they're very charming. They're they're both yeah. incredibly hot. I'm not going to lie. I'm completely obsessed with Taylor Zachar Perez. I actually think that he comes out the best of everybody yes. in this film. Strong agree. In part, I think it's because Alex is the main character. Yeah, he has the most to do. Yeah, yeah. So he gets the most to do. But like that smile, those clothes, just mm-hmm. he is an incredibly dynamic performer. I'm, if we want to talk about him again, apparently he is well known for appearing Netflix connection in the kissing booth two and three. I did see that, and I really hope that you didn't. <laughs> I mean, we probably will. We we got to go back to the wet pad well every <gasps> once in a while, Brenna. <laughs> no. So yeah, I think that Taylor Zachar Perez is definitely the standout of this. I like Nicholas Galanzine. I've seen him before. He's in another queer movie called Handsome Devil that I really strongly recommend to folks. It's about like footballers in the UK. It's very sweet and cute. And other folks may recognize him from the uh, Camilla Caballo or Cabello, however you pronounce it, uh, Cinderella film that was out, I think, in 2021. He played Prince Robert. I don't know what that means. (laughs) <laughs> it just he's played a prince before oh okay okay, okay i get you <laughs> i i really liked him in a lot of ways and i actually okay. thought he did a good job of the sort of like wrestling with the role of the crown stuff mm-hmm. but i didn't find him very romantic <laughs> unfortunately no i i don't want to say that the boys look like they're uncomfortable but considering like i think you messaged me when you were reading the book and you were like oh this is new a because like Mm -hmm. we're we're talking about dicks and butt stuff and you know some other pretty like sexually advanced things like it's not rude but the book doesn't exactly shy away from the fact that these boys are engaging in all sexual activity and the film just feels like oh, let's not go there. Let's have boys wake up without their shirts on. Like, we see Alex's butt briefly at one point, but the sexuality feels very chaste. It's very, very, like, fade to black. I was really annoyed that it's rated R because, to me, this is another one of those examples where it's rated R because it's about queer people falling in love. (laughs) 100%. Mm -hmm. If this was a straight couple, this would not be rated R. There's nothing R-rated about any of these depictions or even the way they talk to each other i mean one of the things Mm -mm. 
we haven't even talked about the fact that their their emails get hacked basically and their emails have been like some really beautiful love letters and also some really graphic like depictions what they want to do to each other and like Mm -hmm. we get all of that (laughs) in the book so we have the whole range of their relationships whereas in the film we don't get any of that and even like it's even not sort of immediately apparent what is the big deal is sometimes Mm -hmm. in the film because no. they aren't like <laughs> rushing to not they aren't rushing to like rip their clothes off each other and it's like oh yeah. I mean okay and I, I think that that is a disappointment because one of the things that I think is really plotable about the book is you know a few weeks back we talked about the difference between NA and YA and I said mm-hmm. like it's YA with sex like there's more right. frequent and frank discussions of sex in NA than in YA I think it's important to have queer stories that look at that too yeah and I I just think that the film is trying to be extremely safe, which is, I mean, it has mm-hmm. an R rating anyway, and it's on streaming. So, like, who who is this for? <laughs> I guess this is yeah. my question. Like, is this movie for nice white ladies? Because it feels like it's a movie for nice white ladies. It is very safe. Yeah, it doesn't mm-hmm. want to upset anybody with an icky depiction of queer sex. Like, this is closer to Heartstopper territory, Definitely. which frequently gets berated by older audiences. Like, why are these boys just kissing? How come they're not touching each other's penises? Like, mm-hmm. you would expect that people would be touching each other's dicks in this movie. And it is a lot of kissing. It's like rushing to kiss you in a closet. And I'm like okay like it's not bad these boys are both very attractive but also i thought we were going to be a little bit more sexually frank than this can i talk about the scene that disappointed me the most joe absolutely how about it it's the karaoke scene yeah so in the book they actually go to like a public bar which i mean mm-hmm. it does stretch the bounds of believability for <laughs> absolutely <sure>. not no <laughs> they get super super drunk and they start singing karaoke and it's this mm-hmm. moment of like everybody's like oh my god everyone who knows henry is like is he actually gonna get drunk and like let his mm-hmm. real self out and he does and he it's does. like amazing and he's a bad singer and it's Mm -hmm. he's so earnest and he's so clearly in love with alex in that scene and we get literally none of that in the film i don't even know why they included the karaoke scene joe because it doesn't do any of what it should do and it's not even really fun to watch it is also just boring i'm so disappointed it's very weird. Yeah, because it's like there's a public makeout that we don't see in the film. And then, yeah, Henry really cuts loose. And it's this this great moment. Like, I expected we were going to get this brilliant montage of this sequence where we really get a sense of how these individuals come together as fast friends. But this is one of those big pinnacle moments in Henry and Alex's relationship in the same way that the visit to the museum does. And I feel like the film actually nails that a little bit better although again still not quite the same electricity and sparks i was hoping for because i think their their song and their dance is really muted and not super impactful but i feel like that's my critique of this entire film is that these big sweeping emotional moments just don't have the same resonance like rereading the book i actively cried because i was so invested in the outcome of the election Mm -hmm. and henry being there and him wearing the texas rose uh tie you know just all of these great sentimental big swing emotional moments in the book and the movie does them 
but it has none of the impact. Like I was so emotionally disinterested in most of it. Like I could see these two actors trying really hard and I think they were doing as well as they could. But overall, this movie just feels so flat. Um, I have some tragic news about the karaoke scene that I've just learned. Late breaking research, <laughs> what <is> Joe. That? <laughs> Nicholas Galestein is a singer. Mm-hmm, I told you he was in the musical of Cinderella. <laughs> and he sang apparently somebody to love as the promotional single for Cinderella, so another Queen mm-hmm. song. Okay. So there's no excuse for what happened in the <laughs> But I think, honestly, you can't cast an actor who is also trying to be a singer. He has a single out. He has an album coming out next year. You can't cast an actor who is trying to be a singer in a karaoke scene and have him not take it in a (laughs) self-promotional direction (laughs) instead of treating it like it's supposed to be treated on the page. Unfortunately, right? Like, yeah, he's supposed to be bad and uninhibited. And um, he's neither of those things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what makes it so heartfelt. And instead, you're like, oh, <laughs> exactly. he's a surprisingly it's good singer. I needed to get from this seat. Yes. Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think that maybe folks who haven't read the book will find a certain amount of pleasure in this because it is still soapy and frothy and the boys are cute and it's got that going for it. But I really do think that folks who read the novel and enjoyed it are going to come into this saying, wait, you got rid of June. Wait, you got rid of these scenes. Wait, you're not complicating any of Alex's political stuff. And the chemistry is only so-so. Yeah, Just, like, I could forgive all of the plot mm. streamlining if we still had wicked chemistry. Because ultimately, that's what you're watching an adaptation like this for, the right? The fireworks. <laughs> so its absence is really felt. Right. I do think it's yeah. really tropey, though. Should we see if we get a line today? <laughs> yes, let's play some YA bingo. Bingo! Not a good bingo. So, obviously, we have coincidental classes in the book. The mm-hmm. whole degree that <laughs> that Alex is trying to get is, like, coincidental classes. But I do love that he's able to phone in nearly all of his grades to get his degree because it's all just kid stuff. Like, he's such a political savvy individual at this point that he can just breeze through everything and basically just sext henry throughout most of his classes a hundred percent a hundred percent so we definitely have house porn and we definitely have perfect dates Mm -hmm. like a million of both (laughs) and we have a wedding Mm -hmm. i'm gonna argue for borrowed time because the second they send the first email joe i'm like well this is a terrible idea like why are you putting all this in writing guys absolutely like it's one of the (laughs) things where you have to suspend your disbelief so badly during the book and sure it ends up saying oh this is the private white house servers that people have used for internal communications but it's still you're talking about butt stuff on the white house server folks this is bad It's going to it's going to come out like 100% know it from that minute. Yeah, we have lots of road trips. They are literally always on the road. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've got uh, some bad CGI because of all of that fuzzy green screen. I was going to ask if green screen even counts anymore as CGI, but yes, 100%. (laughs) We need a square for cardboard sets, too. Oof. (laughs) I'm going to give musicality to the book. Mm -hmm. Um. Because A, there's a lot of references to like the music that they're listening to. There's all kinds of stuff about like the world of classical music that Henry is teaching Alex about. There's Mm -hmm. also obviously the big karaoke scene. So musicality. 
Yeah. And we have a zillion queer secondary characters. A hundred percent. Yes. Um, okay. We have a million montages in the movie. Like mm-hmm. whole plot components are just <laughs> exclusively handled through montage in this film. Yeah. Like it's it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm going to say good friendships for the book oh, yeah. because yeah. the core friendship between the six of them, like we've not talked about Pez and his relationship oh, yeah. with June, which is very sweet. I was missing the philanthropic angle from mm. the book because I think it's such a, a good compliment to the political nature of the story. Well, and also it gives Henry and Alex a point of connection because if it was just exactly. about Ritzy Palace parties, Alex would have no in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like how their relationship at the end of it is that Henry gets away from the monarchy by pursuing his and Pez's dream to start like a a queer homeless initiative, which naturally will have a location in Brooklyn, which is where Alex will pursue his law degree under his changed professional career. Like it makes sense and it It works well. I just also like it. It flushes Henry out like it. He's a bit more of a stilted character because he's much more repressed than Mm -hmm. Alex is. But his philanthropy is what makes him interesting. Like it's what initially makes him a romantic possibility for Alex because he sees Henry being really kind to this little girl in a hospital, like a pediatric wing. And they're connecting about Star Wars. And it's a genuine moment where Alex says, oh, I'm not seeing you as the prince right now. You're a human being who can connect with other folks. Agreed. Totally. I think we also have a chosen one narrative in the case of Alex. Like, what is he, 22? And he's like running his mother's <laughs> so campaign. So perfect. He's like, <laughs> like, there's nothing he can't do. And that's why his coming out is so scary, because he genuinely believes like it'll be the downfall of his mother's political career. So mm-hmm. I think it's in that sort of the pressure that's on him is comes from yep. a chosen one narrative. Yeah, for sure. Let's blaze through some of the rest of these. I'm going to mm-hmm. say stunt casting for Uma Thurman and to a and lesser Stephen extent, Fry. Clifton Collin Jr. Okay, Stephen Fry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Henry's father is a dead body that's really looming over a lot of his relationship hangups. Yep, especially in the book. Yeah, definitely the book more so than the film. And then weird as it may seem, because this is an Amazon film, I'm giving this a Netflix connection because if you know either of these two lead actors, it's because of their previous uh, work, but particularly The Kissing Booth 2 and 3 is how he got the role of Alex. I can't even believe there's three Kissing Booth movies. Like that just goes to show you that the world is unfair. (laughs) (laughs) old lady yells at clouds (laughs) boy so i think that gives us a line we did get a line yes Yay! you're good for something movie version of red white and royal blue wow (laughs) (laughs) all right well brenna I feel like we've been talking a lot about queer things lately, so maybe it's time to take a breather. Let's throw a bone to the heteros, Joe. And we're gonna <laughs> <laughs> we're moving into book club. It's too late to submit your thoughts on book club, but uh, come back for the episode on Alana, the first adventure by Tamara Pierce, um, and then we're back into straight love triangle territory with Allegiant, the final book in the Divergent series, and the movie. It only gets halfway done, Joe. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm excited by that. That's our final episode of book five, which of course means nothing because we'll still have an episode the following week. But you know, the theme music will change because it's another 50 episodes done and dusted, Brenna. Oh my god, Joe, 50 more episodes. We've been at this a while. It's, (laughs) It's wild. It's very wild. Yeah. This is the most episode of a podcast with the most loyal listeners for a t- relatively tidy audience, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I like the caveat. Thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you want to celebrate the end of yet another amazing book of HKHS Pod, you know how to do it. You can find us on the social medias at HKHS Pod or on the hashtag HKHS Pod. Joe, we've recently mm-hmm. emerged on the Instagrams. This is so true. So people can find us there. Yes. Um, if they want to find you places, where do they find you? I can be found at B still on my remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. I did ditch my Twitter account if you're looking for me there, but I'm on Blue Sky, and you can find us now on Instagram. And you know what? The best way to get us along for a message is to send us an email, mm-hmm. hkhspod at gmail.com. We need more mail, Joe. I would like to do more mailbags, and uh, the summer has been quiet. This is true. Yes, I feel mm-hmm. like folks were getting into the group for a while there, and then they were like, mm, "We're good, okay." So, uh, <laughs> yeah, folks, if you've got How something to say, you. as a reminder, it doesn't have to be about this week's episode. It can be about general thoughts. Maybe you saw something and you were like, "Hey, I should let them know about this." Give us recommendations, other things that you're looking forward to, and so on. And this is where we get our best recommendations. As you all know, much of our programming happens because of things you suggested. So Mm. if you see something out in the world, don't be shy. And until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. We mentioned in the book, Diego Luna, he is positioned as a queer villain for part of the narrative because he jumps ship. That's what we lose with yeah. not having Diego in here, right? Like, there isn't somebody Raphael, to look Raphael, up. Raphael, Damn it. Where do I come up with this? I don't know. <laughs> but I find it particularly unsatisfying what happens with Miguel because he Raphael. more or less gets... Exp- no, oh, I'm Miguel. talking about Miguel now. <laughs> We're talking about the movie now. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so if you want to celebrate our 50th episode or... Well, not 50th. So if you want to... Sep- <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.